Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Let me talk a little bit about building stuff. Uh, Yeah, so please take this card, and that'll be all your information on there about uh, buildings. So uh, I will try to make this as anticlimactic as possible. We have found a new location, praise God. Chill, 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 chill. (laughs) We do not have a lease yet. Does that make you feel better? (laughs) Does that temper your expectations? Okay, we we have come to terms with a new location. But as we've gone along this journey, we've found that things can change very quickly. Um, We were in a space. We had to leave a space. Everything has been challenging. So we I think two years ago, we would have made this announcement and had streamers and everything. But we are traumatized. So um, all that to say, um, the, the new location that we've identified that we've come to terms with is further downtown. It's a much larger space. It can, the downstairs can seat somewhere uh, close to 300. The upstairs has much more room for our kids. It can seat close to about 150. So it's a great, great new location. Um, the, the, the reason why we want to be downtown is because we have felt that God has called us not just to physically be in downtown, but we've looked at Brooklyn and we've thought to ourselves, where's the space that we can reach the most types of people. And so we've felt like God has positioned our church to have a lot of different types of people in it. So we felt like downtown Brooklyn has the most accessibility and it has the most range of people that we can have access to. That means, for those that may ask, um, in order to purchase a building downtown, and we've tried, uh, but in order to purchase a building downtown, you're probably looking at somewhere around 15 million to 16 million. So we're renting, praise God. <laughs> and I just want you to know that we'll be renting for quite some time until rain comes, wind blows. And uh, no, I mean, it would take us, it would take us 10 to 15 years possibly to get to that level. Uh, what we are most likely in a better position to do is start another location potentially in Long Island at some point um, and purchasing something out there. Purchasing downtown uh, will be difficult. So we'll be renting uh, there. So we want to give you that. um, Now, I I hate to say this. It sounds horrible. But we might have our lease done by the members meeting. So... uh, uh, Mark, our director, is like he's a, he's like yeah. If you want the if you don't have a member subscription, you don't get the you don't get the, all the details and whatnot. But um, we might have it done by the we might have it done by next week. If if and when we have it done, we will have pictures. We'll give you address, all that. We don't want you to go through what we've been through. But um, <clears throat> what we want to do though, uh, what we're talking about today is um, it is the habit of the church to get a building and feel like they've accomplished something to the point where they lose their fervor for reaching people. They, they gain a come see vision instead of a go ye vision. 
And essentially, if we build it, they'll come. And the facility is nice, but there's a temptation for us to worship the facility. So that's why we've done this series, because we want to remember that the temple is us. Amen. Let's just look to the Lord. Um, Let's ask God to be in the details of the lease, to be in the details of the space, and to be in the details of our preparation to move there. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you even now, um, there are so many people who woke up this morning. There are people who Googled our church, prepared to come, and something distracted them. It may have been feelings on the inside. It may have been a train. It may have been a friend. It just may have been just anything going on inside their head, but there are the, the people here are not the people who desire to be here. And so, Lord, let us be a church that never forgets that moving into a building is not the end game, nor does the end goal. The Spirit of the living God not only moves within his people, but he moves his people to be close to those that don't know him. The Holy Spirit not only moves within his people, but he moves his people to be close to those who don't know him. So God, move us. Move us. Don't just move us into a building. Move us close to people, Jesus. Move us close to friends, Jesus. Move us close to family. Don't let the broken heart of a sinner distract us from their deepest need. Their need is to know you and to love you and to be be cared for by you. So let the church be a place that is full of grace and truth, attracting the broken. God, I pray that we would think of that lost friend right now. I pray that we would think of that lost family member or coworker right now. I pray if we're one who came today that feeling confused and distant, I pray that we would want to feel and know that this is a space that we can get close to Jesus right now pray you would create an atmosphere in our church of intimacy with you and an open door for anyone that wants to know you, God. Lord, truly make us a church that draws people near to you. Holy Spirit, right now there are within our city all types of people struggling with uh, mental health. God, I pray for the one struggling tonight, this morning, with their mind, God. I pray for the one needing to feel a greater sense of peace in their heart. Maybe there's a lot of different voices going on in their head. I pray for the one that came here this afternoon unsettled. And I pray that your peace would rest on them. God, truly you are the one that gives us peace beyond all understanding. Now, God, I pray for your power and your presence as we speak about you and you speak through us. In Christ's name, amen? Amen. Uh, So uh, I did forget to mention that we would potentially move uh, in February. Uh, If we move, it would potentially in in February. Amen? All right. Well, when you think about coming into this space, um, some of you all, when you think about your relationship with God, you think about 
uh, confessing. In other words, you know you've done wrong. And so when you think about God, you think about, man, I should have done this. I, I could be doing this better. I need to do more of this. And so when you come to God, you're thinking a lot about your sin. And confession is a good thing. Confession is needed for the, for the soul. But the way we come to God says a lot about what we think about God. Others of you, when you come to God, you not only think of confession, but others of you, you think about the requests that you have. In other words, you are asking God for big things. You are, you are seeking God for tremendous things. And so you are asking, God, I need more of this. I need more in my family. I need more in my life. And so you have a lot of requests you give unto God. And there's others of you that you think, I want to be more intimate with God. I want to feel the power and the presence of God. And all those things are good. Confession, requests, intimacy, all of those are wonderful. But one of the things I think that we miss in our relationship with God, one of the things I think we don't really have a grasp on is that God loves it when we want to come and confess. He loves it when we believe he loves it when we request. But God not only wants us to be with him, God wants to be with us. Can you imagine a God that wants to be with you? That wants to get time with you? That you're like, oh God, can, can we talk? And he's like, no, I want to be with you. Can you imagine sitting down with God, wringing your hands, saying, oh, I know I did it again. I shouldn't have done it. Oh, God, help me out. Oh, I want to be intimate with you. And you saying all these different things. And God just kind of pausing and saying, hey, 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 hey. I paid for this time. I want to be with you. Can you imagine a God that longs for you? That just wants to talk to you. What would our evangelism look like if we went to the nations and it wasn't just you need to confess and you need to believe and you need to be intimate? What would our evangelism look like if we said God wants to be with you? We were growing up. That's how we used to hook our friends up. So my friend want to talk to you. What if our evangelism was like that? I've got a God that wants to talk to you. He won't get to know you. He would love to spend some time with you. What would it look like if we positioned the body of Christ as people who press in to the world and let them know that we have a God that, yes, we need to confess. Yes, we need to be transformed. But God longs for intimacy. What we've said is that generally the way the church grows is through the legacy of other generations. So many of you have grown up in church. Some of you have not. But many of you grew up in church or you grew up <clears throat> church adjacent, right? Your grandmother brought you to church or however that worked. But some of you came from another church and you were in a great church and you loved your church and you moved from one state to another or something happened with that church. And so you are a transplant and we're happy to have our transplants. And some of you are wanderers. Some of you were in a toxic situation. It was a bad situation. It was a confusing situation. So you wandered over here like, oh, I'm just tired of the church. I need a new experience. 
And some of you, as I said last week, are slide backers, meaning you backslid in college. You you went and you did all you were big and bad enough to do in college, and you didn't call mom and daddy. You just said, I'm going to just do it, and nobody's going to know, but God knew, and you felt all convicted, and so now you just slid back into the church just the way you slid out of it. And we praise God for transplants, wanderers, and slide backers. But the truth is, our culture is changing. So I cannot beat this drum enough. The church of Jesus Christ cannot cannot depend on parents and grandparents anymore like we used to. We are gaining legacy disciples as opposed to making disciples. So what we're doing is we're looking for mom and dad to train up kids as opposed to the church being on mission in the neighborhood. Parents have been on mission in their home. Praise God. But there comes a point where we cannot just depend on legacy disciples because what's happening is a lot of people are disengaging the church because it is more popular now to disengage the church. Some of your friends grew up in church and they don't want to know anything about it because what they were looking for wasn't Jesus, it was community. And what you find is people had not been transformed, they had been institutionalized and indoctrinated. So what's actually happening is people are untethering themselves from the popularization of church and they're tethering themselves to think they, they, they don't want a pastor, they want a therapist. They don't want community here, they have community somewhere else. And I don't have no problem with therapy. I have a therapist, praise God. All I'm saying is that nothing can replace the house of the Lord. And so I'm saying to you that we have depended on that for church growth and that can no longer be the case. That generation is changing, and now the church must make disciples. We must reach people. And how we want to reach people is not just waiting for them to see our Google ads, but we must help them to know God wants to be with you. We don't have to punch them with evangelism. We just need to let them know the whole purpose of sending Jesus was God wants to be with you. And I just want to take some time as we've been in this series about a house of prayer. I want to take some time to just unpack how much God wants to be with you and wants to be with your neighbor. And our evangelism would be radically different. Genesis 1, I believe we'll have it on the screen if our screen, I'll pray for our screens, praise God. Um, Genesis 1, 8 and 9, that's why we're getting up out of here. Genesis 1, 8 and 9 uh, reads, okay, so if you know the story, the story essentially is that Adam and Eve were in the garden, and this is what it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Now, why do they hide? Because they're sinning, right? They feel bad about it. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Now, at this point, this says everything about God's personality. Because God, in that very moment, he could just absolutely obliterate Adam and Eve. Or he could say, as I do in my parenting, get over here. I know what you've done. You know, this says everything about God. His response to this moment says everything about his personality and his character. 
His next statement is, the Lord God called to the man and woman, and he says, where are you? Instead of destroying them, instead of embarrassing them, he says, where are you? And we know good and well that in no way did God sacrifice his omniscience for that moment. He knew where they were. He calls out to them, where are you? For one, for them to hear a God pursuing them and for them to even locate themselves. The Bible begins with the God who pursues. We sin, we run, he pursues. Where are you? Some of you have came in here today struggling to even look your eyes up to the Lord. And he's been waiting for you to talk to you. He is the God who pursues even in your sin. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. So he is the God who pursues. He wants to be with us. Where are you? I want to be with you. That's what he says there. The very beginning of Genesis. Well, as we know, um, the garden phase lasted just so long. And from the garden phase, we see that God raises up a people, raises up the Israelites. The Israelites end up in captivity. And after captivity, you have, well, to get them from captivity, you had the Exodus. So after the Exodus, 400 some years, these folks have lost their identity as the people of God. In other words, they have lost their sense that they have a relationship with God, an intimacy and connection with God. So this is what the Lord says in Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. It says, let them make me a sanctuary. May I dwell in their midst exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its future, so you shall make it. Understand that in verse 9, when it says uh, the tabernacle, that word there means dwelling place. And the amazing thing about the tabernacle was the tabernacle at that time was nothing more than a tent. And the tent looked like the Israelites' tents who were wandering there in the wilderness. In other words, he essentially made it look like he moved into their community. And so he wanted to give this imagery that I am right here with you all. And they would move the tabernacle as they moved so that God would make it clear that he was in their midst. What does God want to communicate? I'm here. And through all the storms and through all the trials that Israel went through, God wanted them to know I've moved in. I'm in your neighborhood. I live next door. His tents look just like theirs. After the temple phase, after the tabernacle phase, you have the temple phase. And this is what we talked about in Isaiah 56. This is the essence of our message uh, throughout this series. In Isaiah 56 and 7, uh, why don't we read this together? Isaiah 56 and 7, we'll start at these on three. One, two, three. These I will bring to my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. And my house shall be called in the house of prayer, 
So this is the how part. God institutes, now that's his tabernacle, but also a, a temple. And as they build this temple up and Solomon builds it in this fantastic temple, what he's trying to communicate in Isaiah is, I do not want you to slip into the tendency that I am in your midst just for you. I do not want you to think this tabernacle is just built and this temple is just built for you. And what he's talking about is the foreigner. That is the person that comes from a different nation outside of Israel at the time that they're not accustomed to the sacrifices. They're not accustomed to the prayers. They're not accustomed to coming to the temple. He says, but when they want to come to the temple, when they want to come to pray, know that this house is not a house of Israelites. He says, it's a house of prayer for all nations. What he is fighting for is the same thing he was fighting for in Genesis. The people that are moving away from me, I want them to know I want to be with them. Never let the temple have a magnetic pull away from the nations. Never let it pull you away. Always keep your mind on the nations as you keep your heart connected and tethered to me. So this temple, as we talked about last week, you can go listen to the message last week. We talked about how the temple was erected and destroyed and built up and destroyed. And and it was a tumultuous time. But the people would build the temple and they would still fall into apostasy. So the temple was not the end game at all. After that temple phase, essentially a third temple gets raised up, ends up getting destroyed uh, right after the time of Jesus. But a new phase comes. And that phase is the incarnate Christ. The scripture says in John 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the, son, of the only Son from the Father, full of, full of grace and truth. Now, Jesus literally lived amongst the disciples, but what the author John is trying to get at, when you look at the phrasing, he dwelt among us, that word is connected to the same Hebrew word for tabernacle. And the idea is that he tabernacled amongst us. But understand, tabernacle is nothing more than a tent. So uh, Eugene Peterson would put it this way, God, the word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. What he's getting at is Jesus is the full picture of who God is, God and man. And Jesus comes to earth and we see all of God's personality. We see the fullness of who he is, so much that he would say he was full of grace and truth. Matthew would write this in Matthew 1. It says in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And we know that the naming of Jesus is what we call him, but Matthew is tying this back to Isaiah 7 and 14. And he would say, Emmanuel is God with us. And the imagery there is Jesus is the embodiment of the tabernacle and the temple. 
God is dwelling amongst his people. We see his personality and we see how he responds to people. Full of grace and truth. (laughs) And so it's our temptation then to see that the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus and we worship Jesus as the presence of God. We put Jesus' jersey in the rafters and we say, go Jesus, look at what you did. You were the full embodiment of God's presence. I'm so proud of you. But the Jesus phase of God's presence was not where things ended. You see, the scriptures would go on to talk about not only Jesus was filled with grace and truth, but something happened when he died, and you must understand what happened when he died. Mm-hmm. When Jesus died in Matthew 20, in Matthew, um, in Matthew, I don't have the, the chapter, what chapter? 27, praise God. In Matthew 27, it says, and Jesus, in verse 50, cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Understand that in the temple, there is a part called the Holy of Holies, only where the high priest could go to. And the way that they would shield people, anyone from going into that temple, and mind you, he could only go into that temple once a year. There was a veil there so that people would be reminded that they are separated from God and could not come to God, and only the priest could come in there. So this veil was 60 feet high, four inches thick. And when the Bible says that the veil was torn, notice it did not say bottom to top, but top to bottom. And it is this imagery of God now, Not dwelling in a temple, not just dwelling in his son, but it is as if God moves out of the temple and moves not just in the son, but he moves to a new temple. And that new temple is called us. He keeps moving, garden, tabernacle, temple, Jesus, us. Why? Because he keeps wanting to get closer to people. And so he gives this imagery of himself. But then he has this radical idea. I mean, I get it. I got it with the temple. That was so dope. I got it with the tabernacle. Jesus, that's amazing. But you would dare to move into me. You would dare make me your neighborhood. You would dare want people to want to see you. In me, I get it with Jesus because he, you know, he did that water walking on water and the wine thing. That was crazy. That was amazing. But I don't walk on water. Ah, but your life's been changed. Ah, but you've had peace that surpasses all understanding. Oh no, you have a testimony. God has done something in your life because He's in your life. And now, if we understand that He was moving not just to be in me. Not just to be close to me. But he wanted us to be the temple that everybody would be able to come to. Would it 
be crazy as we've talked about being a house of prayer. We're saying, oh God, we want to we wanna be that house of prayer. And we're thinking about the church, but what if we were all individual houses of prayer? That each one of us were a space like that temple where people were drawn to the presence and the power of God. Amen. That means that God would be expanding his glory all over the earth. That means every neighborhood, every friendship, every community that we occupy, the presence of the Holy Spirit occupies. But understand, if the Holy Spirit is in you, God is saying to your friend, I want to be with you. Yeah. And all we have to do is say, my friend, he won't talk to you. We have a God who pursues. And if you know your testimony, you know he pursued you. You know, you just didn't wake up one day and say, I think I'm interested in holiness. (laughs) You know, you were pursued. He is the God who pursues. And so the Bible would go on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, or do you not know? Now, mind you, this is a wild rebuke because this is being spoken to men who are sleeping with prostitutes. And you would think the rebuke for men sleeping with prostitutes is don't sleep with prostitutes. But he takes them and he says to them, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? He is saying to them, it's not about just sleeping with prostitutes. It's that you're missing your true identity. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that the Spirit of God is there? There was a whole temple where they would sacrifice through. There was a holy of holies. No one could go in there. And now the holy of holy resides in you. Do you see the fullness of who God has made you to be that the presence of God should compel you not just to not sleep with prostitutes, but to be a light to the nations? That your purpose is much bigger than sex. That your purpose is much bigger than your urges. That there's so much more for you. He's saying this to men sleeping with prostitutes. How much more does he say to us that we want to be this beautiful, diverse picture of God's personality and his presence? And so we we draw near to him because we know he wants to be with us. Now, you have to understand that uh, here... Um, in the the Greek text, when it says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Um, In the text, uh, not to get too deep in the Greek, but it's in second person plural. Essentially, the way to put this is y'all or yous. (laughs) The better way to say this is y'all's body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's different because no matter where you're at, if you are a Christian, if, if, if you are a believer here today, the pastor does not have a greater occupancy of the Holy Spirit than you do. So that means that your expression of the Holy Spirit is just as important as mine. 
So you might be a person who has a job much different than what anything that I can do. But I also want to really encourage you all, pastoring, preaching, being a missionary, very important jobs, but your job is wildly important for the kingdom of God. Whatever God has called you to do. One, I cannot do it. I'm sure I cannot do it. Whatever. This is about the only, it's about the only thing I can do. But, God wants to radically reorientate people to who he is by occupying you. He does not want people to feel he's far off. So he has moved into your life. And where you go, he is. And that should change our decisions. That should change our behaviors. That should change our lifestyle. Because our identity is being in him and him in us. And so he says, y'all, we, this is a team sport. We need you on this team to fully embody the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter 2. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up. Listen what he says, as a spiritual house, as a spiritual house. Look what he says, as a spiritual house to be a priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So if you look in what Peter says, Peter says, you are these living stones being built into a house. Think then of the church and the building of the church as each individual being this stone in this spiritual house. Each individual having capacity, gifting, insight, personality that all draw different types of people. So here's, you have been gifted with a magnetism to people that I cannot draw. And the nations, and we're going to talk about that next week, in Matthew 28, where it says, make disciples of all nations, that word in the Greek is the word ethnos. And that word does not just mean ethnicity, it means people groups. That changes everything because it's not just where you're from. There, listen, there are all types of people in this world. And it is not just defined by where they're from. It's also personalities. It's also jobs. It's also skill set. It's also preferences. There's all different types of people. And you magnetically draw different types of people than the person next to you. You know, uh, Rasul and I, we've been friends, uh, the teaching pastor. Rasul and I have been friends for 20-some years. We're very different people. <laughs> very different people. He's just, you know, we, we'll go places, and they'll be talking, and, you know, he's, he's straight up an academic. So there's just like, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> they think because I'm the pastor I know what they're talking about. I don't know what they're talking about. I have a strong, like, mm-hmm game, so people think, I don't know what they're talking about. 
But they're so, there's just, they're, I'm so glad because there are intellectuals who need to know Christ and he can just break it down in a way I can't break it down. Our differences are God's delight. Amen. And it is made so that he can draw different types of people. So, so this is why it's very dangerous if you're a diverse church because sometimes we think we're diverse so that we can be a good Polaroid picture. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Sometimes, in, sometimes diversity can be good for Instagram, but not for the nations. Wow. And I'm saying we're, we should be diverse to reach diverse groups, yeah, 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 yeah. to reach all different types of people. And, and this, is, this, is, this is what I think, um, this is why I think we have to always be pursuing people. We have to pursue people and never grow comfortable. It can never be about church growth and how big can we become. It's always gotta be about reaching different types of people and knowing that people are being pursued by God. Amen. And then we're a part of that pursuit. I got a call this week um, from a good friend of mine and this is just a crazy story. Um, he has two daughters and his daughters um, have been in college down south and he said that his daughters went to the store one daughter is a freshman in college one daughter is a senior and they go to the store and they went to the store at like 11 o'clock at night like they do all the time they were home from break, on break. And he said, he got a text message at one o'clock in the morning. They had gone to bed. Got a text message at one o'clock in the morning saying, dad, we're leaving, not coming back. We don't feel that you've treated us right. And so have a nice life. Now, understand, the money that they went to the store with was his money. The car that they drove in was his car. So understand that the older daughter does have some mental health challenges, things like that. But this is what's happening. And the younger one just kind of went with it because she's, she has that kind of personality. So they track their phone. They have all their friends now texting them, texting them, texting them. Hey, where are you? Come home. Where are you? Come home. They begin to block everyone's phone. They track them to Nashville. So they're in Nashville. The dad does what? Hops on a plane to Nashville. Goes to Nashville eventually finds the car, his own car, abandoned after a week. He's there, confused. He said, I, he said, James, I was looking and looking so desperate. This happened in August. He said, then they sent me a selfie in LA. They take the picture and they said, dad, we're in LA. Don't come looking for us. We're fine. And then block the number again. What do you think the dad did? The dad took that picture, enlarged it, 
found where they were. So he saw on the picture there was a Kobe Bryant mural behind them. Looked at the Kobe Bryant mural and also saw the cross streets where they were at. Booked a flight from Nashville to L.A. Goes to L.A. and sees that they have made a charge at the Ritz-Carlton. $500 a night. Goes, go listen, goes to the Ritz-Carlton to look for his daughters. Daughters. They're not there. And so he's there in L.A. Just think about how crazy this is. He's there searching and searching for his daughters. Stays in the lobby the whole time. Then at four o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, just think about how intense his emotions are. He sees there's a charge on his account for a hotel down the street. Runs to the hotel. Stays in the lobby. Waits, waits, waits the whole day. Can't find his daughters. Calls his wife, says, honey, what was I thinking? How am I going to find these girls? They don't want me. (laughs) This is crazy. Leaves. While he was leaving, a vendor making shirts, spray-painted shirts, made a shirt that said, trust God, don't give up. The man looks at the shirt says, I believe that's a sign. Goes back to the hotel. Guess who's in the lobby? His two daughters were there, but he he says to himself, it doesn't look like them. They hadn't eaten in a week. Now think about the, think about the mentality of staying in the Ritz-Carlton, but you can't afford food. So there he is, sees his daughters, and he walks up to them, hair disheveled, both wearing hats, head down. They're on their phones trying to figure out their next move. And the dad walks up to them. And I said, man, what did you say? He said, I said, hey. And they look up. And they go, what are you doing here? You see, they're thinking, I've rejected you. I've run from you. I've talked about you. What are you doing here? And what do you think the dad said? He said, I'm here for you. I want to be with you. So the girl looks up. She just stares at him. And you know what he said next? He said, y'all hungry? And the girl jumps up and hugs him. And she says, yes, daddy, I'm hungry. She had been hungry, distant, confused, but she would have never come to him He had to go to her. He had to go to Nashville and L.A. 
and hotel after hotel, and he kept moving so that he could let them know, I want to be with you. And could you imagine a God that went from garden to tabernacle to temple to the sun to you to let the world know he wants to be with them? Well, certainly, we have a God who pursues. Didn't he pursue you? Then we should be in the pursuit of others. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you pursued us, that you came for us, and that you loved us. So now, God, even now, as we look at a new location, remind us that we are this new space in God. Holy Spirit, we pray that we would be reminded that we are the body of Christ that we are the pursuit of not only you, but you call us to pursue others. We ask this in Jesus' name. I wonder if you'd stand with me. Before you do, look underneath your seats. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.